And so we arrived at the pinnacle of it all. All the breaths that Jesus has taken have now led him to his death. This moment where his breath will be taken from him. The point where this gets real for all those who have gathered to follow Jesus. There's a great difference in between hearing and experiencing. Those gathered have heard from Jesus that he would die. But now, now they are walking with him through it. And what I have to ask you, are you willing to walk through this as well? Are you ready to drink from the same cup of bitterness? Because we can only know the sweet taste of grace once we have known the cup of bitterness. As we read last week, Peter had just denied Christ and Christ is being taken away with listings of crimes that he did not commit so that he could be tried before the highest ruler of the land, Pilate. Now the Jewish leaders did not have the power to put someone to death. They themselves could not kill Jesus legally. They needed their oppressors to do it for them. They needed Rome. And that's a bit of irony, right? We have the Jews who believed Jesus was going to save them from their oppressors, now submitting to those oppressors to kill Jesus. From Hosanna to crucify him. It's been one hell of a week for him. So we start with Jesus being brought before Pilate, who asked him plainly, Are you the king of the Jews? Which is to say, are you who they say you are? Are you leading an insurrection against the Romans? Are you a traitor to the Roman rule? Defend yourself. And Jesus doesn't answer beyond, I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. So many times we ask Christ in our deepest and desperate times who he is. And his reply always is, I am who you say I am. I am the calmer of storms. I am the healer of sick. I am the restorer of the sight to the blind. I am the one who makes the lame walk. I am the one who cleanses cleanses the skin of the leper. I am the one who awakes the child back to life. I am the one who weeps at the grave of his friend. I am the one who fed the thousand. I am the one who taught the laws. I am the one who sent the rich away sad. I am the one who rejoiced with the poor widow. I am the one who asked the children to come to me. I am the one who cursed the fig tree. I am the one who cleansed the temple. I am the one who dipped his bread into the cup. I am the one who they say I am. I am who you say I am. Pilate does not understand this, partly because I do believe, once again, this is an importance of part of Jesus' nonviolent ministry. He did not come here to bring war, but to bring peace. He did not come here to destroy the old law, but to fulfill it. When Pilate expected resistance, he found a man who did not come to play the games of this world, but rather to change them by submitting to them. Jesus changed the narrative by being quiet, and this astounded Pilate. He marveled. He marveled how Jesus was not resisting the charges. This is not about Jesus being passive. This is Jesus making a choice. Now, we are still caught up in Passover, and Pilate, being the ruler of the area, would let the Jews celebrate their festival and would even participate in it by letting a criminal go free. He allows 
Ahil would allow the criminal to go free as the Israelites would celebrate their own freedom from Egypt. This is a very weird way to celebrate a tradition. The oppressor releases a criminal because the oppressed is celebrating a festival where they were saved from a previous oppressor. This is a very weird thing. So Pilate believes that he has his way out. Surely the Jews will want Jesus free since he really had not done anything wrong. So they'll use this opportunity to free him. Surely they will not ask for Barabbas back, a man who murdered people and tried to lead an insurrection. And yet, when Pilate asked for Christ's freedom, they said, crucify him. And when he asked, Pilate asked what Christ did wrong, they had no answer beyond crucify him. Barabbas is set free by the conviction and death of Christ. Barabbas, the first sinner, set free by the death of Christ. I think this is important to point out because, once again, Christ told his disciples, who are the ones who will scatter like sheep, that at the time of his death, they would not stand with him. Christ is the one who sets the criminal free. And once again, all the breaths of Christ have led him to this moment. A miracle, all the miracles, all the healings, all the feedings and teachings, they have led him to this moment where the people once again saw him as a king. Hosanna. And now they're asking for their king to be killed. Crucify him. Without a crime. Simply because he offended their systems. He was so disruptive to their interpretation of what law was, he had to go. And how many times have we done this? Crucified Christ because he did not fit into our mold of the interpretation of what true law is, what we believe the law is. How many times has someone in our own lives asked us to free Christ and we jeered back at him, crucify him? How many times when we were challenged by the words of Christ, instead of sitting in discomfort, we just discount them? How many times, O oh Lord? How many times? How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. The soldiers mocked him and tortured him, and while they treated him like a criminal, this is torture, and we should not look away from it. The whole point of putting on a robe was to allow his wounds to heal to that robe and then rip them away from him. The crown of thorns was used to torture and mock him as a king. A king who said the first shall become last. A king who said, Father, if there is another way, take this cup from me. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away. As wounds which mar the chosen one may bring many sons to glory. Now Christ must carry his cross, and yet he is too weak to carry it all the way. Simon of Serene is enlisted to help. And I wanted to note, as Dr. James Cone notes in The Cross and the Lynching Tree, that Simon of Serene was most likely a black person. And it is a black person who is then called to carry the cross of Christ. And Cone says there's something very prophetic about this moment, about the lynching of black people. 
and how they too will carry a cross of an innocent man to their own death. Christ is then placed on the cross next to two criminals and mock him. He is mocked by criminals in the other Gospels. In the Gospel of Mark, he is mocked by those who pass by, saying, He saved others, so why can't he save himself? Get off the cross, and we would actually believe. How many times is this me? Pleading with Christ to just do this one thing, and then I would believe. If you do this, then I would truly believe. If you could do anything in this world, why not do this for me? And yet, Christ stood on the cross, because that is truly what we needed. Just as Christ does not always answer our prayers and pleads in the ways that we desire, he did not heed the words of the scoffers. Christ knew the path that he was on, and he intended on seeing it through. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. And then Jesus cried out, asking God why he has left him. Why has God forsaken him? The divinity separates itself from Christ, and Christ then dies. How much this separation must have hurt Christ. Being fully divine and fully human, it is beyond our understanding how this actually happens and how this must be. But out of a brokenness, a fracturedness of Christ, he cries out. There's a deep pain here. And it is only a pain that Christ can know. And only a pain that God can know what he is going through. A pain that he knew that he would have to endure. A pain that he knew he would have to embrace. This was a cup that he needed to drink. Because he knew that we would forget the poor because he knew that we would not heal the sick because he knew we would not feed the hungry. He knew we would not visit those in prisons. He knew that we would doubt the miracles. He knew that we would be afraid of the storms. He knew that we would betray. He knew that we would fall asleep. He knew that we would deny and he knew that we would sin. So Christ drank deep of the cup of suffering, and his his divinity left him, forsaken by God, and he died. It was my sin that held him there, until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. The curtain tears and the ground shakes. Those who persecuted him see the Son of God for who he really is. And for those who are looking for the Son of God somehow missed him. Even amidst the grandeur of death, of the grandeur of the death of Christ, we can still sometimes miss the grandeur of grace. We are so separated from sacrifice culture of the temple that even though through this Bible study we have talked a lot about it, I can still feel so separated from it. We don't understand how the temple was a place where death was common. For the forgiveness of sins. How blood shed, how blood was shed by the priest to make us whole, to make us clean. But it was always animals that were chosen because they were considered innocent creatures because they could not choose to sin. They simply couldn't choose to sin and thus they were innocent and their blood serves as a sacrifice that God desired. 
And then we see the blood of Christ shed. We see that it, and when we see the blood of Christ shed, we see that it was not that God desired blood to be shed, but rather it was a desire of God to see us clean. The transaction at the altar was not ultimately about punishment, but rather about us returning to our garden state, our created state, who God intended us to be. I feel like so many times in our culture, we look to only see the punishment of Christ and that we then infer that we must suffer as Christ's suffering. Suffering was not the point of what Christ did on the cross, but rather a byproduct of being of a byproduct of, of us be given the opportunity to return to our created state. Christ was not a normal sacrifice, because unlike the animals, he had to choose innocence with every breath, every step, and every word. He had to choose innocence, and that life of sacrifice is then placed on the altar. Christ's life was a, a, a sacrifice of living, a living sacrifice in the created order, not just his death. Christ's life was a sacrifice of living in that created order, not just the sacrifice of his death. Let us not belittle Christ's sacrifice by limiting it to the action of just the cross. This is why in Romans, when Paul talks of our lives as a living sacrifice, it is because we are called to take up our cross and follow after Christ's example, to choose the different way of living, to choose innocence with every breath, every step, and every word. I do believe in that traditional doctrine. Christ died for our sins, and only through joining with joining Christ at that altar are we returned to our created state. Do I see the cross as punishment? That is a harder part of that is the harder part for me. Because I see how we as Christians have used punishment and fear inside of our church to harm our sisters and brothers, rather than seeing the cross as a place of sacrifice for return to our created order. This small shift in thinking has been a foundational shift for me. Christ died for our sins as sacrifice, not as punishment. God's system never desired blood, but rather it was a system created in order to return us to the created order, the order that Christ lived his life to show us and then died as a sacrifice to show us the ultimate cost of living as a sacrifice, that we may submit our lives not as our own, but rather that we may submit our life to the loving our Lord, our God, with all of our heart, soul, and being, and then loving our neighbor as ourselves. And now that we are called to be living sacrifices ourselves, we're also called to take up our life, the life of the cross, and follow him. His dying breath has brought me life, and I know that it is finished. Christ finished a good work in you, in me, and in this world. I pray that we begin to walk away from I pretend that we pray that we when we begin to walk away from this study, we are actually able to see it. Able to see the world as God intended it, and maybe not how we as humanity have interpreted it. Christ is buried in the tomb for a rich man. And it's important to note for next week in the Gospel of Mark that women are central to the end of the narrative. 
They are the ones who watch Christ being placed on the cross. They are the ones who will see where he is buried. It is not the disciples who followed so closely because as Christ predicted, they were sheep scattered. But it is women who follow Christ, who stay close to him, who follow him to see where he is buried. And that's because it's important for the way chapter 16 plays out, of which we will talk about this next week. Be blessed this week. See Christ in all that you do, and know that it is through the sacrifice of Christ that a good work can be completed in you. And also, please remember to wash your hands.